Well, we are starting a brand new series tonight, and so again, if you're a guest with us, it is a real treat and honor to have you here, and I hope that uh, you sense that this is a place where you can kind of put down some of your spiritual roots to kind of investigate this Jesus, also that you can maybe put down some relational roots where maybe you can get to know some people around you, and uh, maybe you got a chance to meet someone new, and maybe by the end of tonight you will too. So uh, this new series is called Empty. And uh, I feel like I'm on Nickelodeon, but there's no slime, so don't worry. Um, but empty is a, a thing, a, a reality that maybe some of you have faced in the past. How many of you have ever run out of gas? Yes, a few, a few of us uh, who have decided that that was worth the risk to take. How many of you are uh, safe gassers? <laughs> I know where your mind's going. Um, <clears throat> I'm not talking about crop dusting. I'm talking about uh, the idea that when they, like, they, it gets down to like a quarter of a tank, you're like, hey, I'm almost on empty, and I'm going to stop and fill up. How many of you are like that, okay? How many of you are risky gassers, okay? And you're like, you know, I know the light comes on, and I think in my owner's manual it says I get an extra 20 miles when that comes on. You're those people, Right. Now, I don't know if you've ever run out of gas before. The closest I've ever come, I, I was challenging myself to see how far I could go. And I got to the stoplight, and it started to sputter. And the light had been on for, you know, a good day and a half. Um, and so it was sputtering, and I just revved it as much as I could. And I got through the light as it changed. And then it stalled. I just threw it in a neutral and coasted right in next to the gas station. I thought that was the coolest move ever. James Bond would be proud. Um, so... Uh, I just didn't have a cool car like he did. But that's the closest I've ever come. And, and, and here's what I know. For some of us, that's a reality, and you like the challenge of that. But that's not just about cars, is it? I, I know people who have run pretty much on fumes, and maybe you've been there, where you just have gone and gone and gone. You take on more and take on more and you take on more responsibility and, and you never really create any buffer or any boundaries for yourself. And you get to that place where you're feeling really drained and really empty. See, empty is a word that is more than just a, an indicator to a, a gas gauge in a car and even more than a life. In fact, there's some people that I've known, and maybe you've been down this path where you've trusted in certain people or trusted in certain things, and you've gone down the road of putting all your trust in them, and something happens and the trust is broken, and all of a sudden you wake up and you feel what you sensed was there all along. That was really just kind of a mirage, and, and now you're left with this emptiness, right? Empty is something that can happen in our culture when we start to look to other things or other people for the power that only God has to supply. And so empty is this pursuit of a lot of different things. And, and, and we can look at the American dream and we could talk about uh, big ticket items and we could talk about experiences. We could talk about relationships and you can fill in the blank with a lot of things that you already know. That you could pursue things and even at the end of pursuing them, wind up feeling empty. And so this, this series is really all about a famous line that Jesus said. And it wasn't just a line that he threw out once. It was a message that he said often 
It was something that in the course of the conversation, the course of the sermon that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, it's his most popular, most famous, so to speak, sermon that he would have given often as a traveling preacher. And in this part, he's talking about worry. And he's talking about how worry can occupy our hearts. And actually the things we worry about become the things that we actually pursue. And in pursuing them, we can even attain them and still wind up feeling empty. In fact, he comes along a little bit later on after the sermon. In John 10.10, you can read this. He's speaking about this in life that we're to have. And in this context, he kind of gives this this polar opposites, this this contrast that he sees. And he says, look, there there is a way that really is about following, and he would call it the way of the enemy. That's the words he used. You could follow the way of the enemy, but here you have to understand the enemy's intent. He's here to steal and to kill and destroy. To steal, to take away. He's here to destroy, to demolish. Empty type language. But then he turns around in John 10.10 and he says, But I've come. I've come that you may have life. And that you may have it mediocre. I've come that you may have life, sort of. I've come that you may have life, maybe. No. What's Jesus say? He says, look, there's a way. And if you choose this way, you choose these pursuits, you're going to wind up feeling empty because the manner in which this way takes you is all about stealing and taking away and destruction. But if you follow me, I've come that you may have life and that you may have life to the full. Now, does that mean that when you have life to the full that you don't have any struggles? No, he's not saying that. In fact, later on you can read, he talks about, hey, in this world you're going to have trouble. But you take heart, I've overcome this world. You will face struggles. But with me, your life will be full. And you will live to the place where you will find satisfaction, contentment, love, acceptance, all these things. I don't know if you recognize at the beginning of the year that you've been given a gift. And I have too. It's the gift of life. And you have it. It's still going in for you. For me, it's been 16,076 days as of today. I've been given life. 21 days after my conception and after yours too, there was a little electrical impulse that stimulated your heart beginning to beat. And ever since then, you've been given this gift of life. And it's not just breath, and it's not just, okay, the blood coursing through your body, but this life has, has with it these desires. And it has with these, these dreams, these desires to pursue uh, being worthy of someone, being worthy of, for someone. This uh, value that you have in life, this pursuit of significance and approval and acceptance and security. That ever since your heart started beating, you've been longing for those things. And here's the truth. Every single one of us longs for those things. And every single one of us will worship the thing or the person we think supplies those needs and meets those needs for us. And so what Jesus is getting at is there is a way that seems right, maybe. And then there's my way. 
And he's creating this contrast that comes along. And this truth is that every single one of us longs for significance and for purpose and for worth and for love and security. And we will look and pursue all kinds of things to fill in this need that we have. In fact, there's a a philosopher back in the day in the 1600s, Blaise Pascal, who said these words, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man and every woman, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus. He had this epiphany. He got to a place where he had attained a whole lot of stuff, become masterful in many, many different skills. And later on in life, all those pursuits that he was going after, he just felt empty. And then he pens these words. There's like this God-shaped vacuum in the human soul that you could try to fill with a lot of different things, and it may feel good for a moment. But in the end, you're running on fumes, and you'll wake up feeling empty. You'll wake up to the place of not feeling full in life. And even Pascal begins to point out way back, and this is 500 years ago, right? Long time ago. I'm saying, hey, this is, this is about understanding that this, this shaped vacuum is not something that's achieved over time. You can look for a lot of different things. But when you try to fill your heart and fill your life's pursuits with these other things, you'll wind up actually feeling empty. The truth and how you find the full life, he begins pointing back to a person, not a philosophy, not to a a plan, but to the person of Jesus. He begins pointing back to. In the Bible, when it talks about the, the wandering hearts of humanity, you have one, I have one. We're prone to wander. In fact, the scriptures kind of talk about that all the time, that our hearts are prone to kind of wander away from God, to pursue anything else for that, that love and acceptance and significance and, and purpose that we, we want and we long for. And those longings, I believe, God put within our hearts because in the end, he wanted us to pursue him. And we try to fill it with a lot of different things. We try to fill that God-shaped vacuum, so to speak, that Pascal talks about with a lot of different stuff. Uh, the Bible kind of refers to that as idols. And so when you read through the Old Testament scriptures in particular, you'll, you'll hear that word, you'll see that word idol, and, and that's what it's meaning. It's you're looking after something else to kind of fill that void that is meant for God to fill only. But here's, here's the truth. Um, idolatry is, is kind of what we try to fill our hearts with. And a lot of times people kind of say, okay, what is idolatry? Well, it's just making something more important than God. But I want to give you a different definition to it, maybe a little bit uh, deeper definition to that. Idolatry is this. It's when I look to something that does not have God's power to give me what only God's power and authority has. It's when I look to something else that doesn't have God's power to fill when only God has the power and authority to give me. And so when I choose to replace it with something else, when I say, if I just owned this, then I'll feel worthy. Have you ever found yourself saying that? If I just achieve this, then I will feel significant. If I just have what they have, then I'll be content. If I just get a little bit more, then I'll be satisfied. If I just get that person to love me, then I will be secure. If I just get this promotion, then, then I'll feel valued. 
Now, it's not that those things are wrong, but when I begin looking to those things to give me the power that only God has the power and authority to give, then I'm setting up an idol in my life. And it's not that if and when an idol may appear. An idol is something we will wrestle with all of our lives. And in different seasons and different stages in life, it will kind of rear its ugly head and it will look different. And what the Bible comes to talk about is if you want to pursue a life where you place other things in on the throne room of your heart, so to speak, and decide to say this has prominent placement in my life, this matters most, then you can pursue that. But in the end, you will wind up feeling empty. That's why Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and you may have life to the full. That it isn't about this empty pursuit. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, wrote this. He says, one of the most fundamental questions every human being needs to ask, and every human being is asking, is what is the good life? Who has the good life? Maybe in our culture we have glamorized celebrities, right? We have shows that are talking about shows that talk about celebrities, and there's such a big deal because in, in our world, in our mind, maybe in our, our filter, we've kind of set up and said, well, they must have the good life. But yet you, we look at it from the outward and we go, yeah, they, yeah, they got the good life because they've got cars, they've got money, they've got freedom, they've got the ability to do things. And so we've defined in a lot of ways in our culture, that is the good life. And yet... A lot of times when you interview people who have attained the good life, so to speak, there's an emptiness and a hollowness still within their heart and within their words. We try to grab at all these different things to fill. And, and a lot of times we begin grabbing at stuff when we get tired of waiting. How many of you don't like waiting? How many of you, when you're at the grocery store, deliberately look for the shortest line? Because you don't like waiting. You're like, well, I think I can self-help myself faster than that person over there. They look like they've had a rough day. Um, so, like, we profile in the grocery store. And so, we all do it. And so, don't be embarrassed by that. But we've, we've done that because we hate waiting so much. One of the early stories in the Bible is about God rescuing his people from slavery, right? It goes back to the times of, uh, we have the, uh, I forget what the movie is out right now, Gods and Kings, I think? Exodus. Exodus. So, so it's about this Exodus story. And it's about this story of how God rescued his people from the enslavement they had in Egypt and how God brought them out. And the people of God are in movement. They're moving with God. God has done incredible things to rescue them. And now Moses has gone up to the mountain to hear from God and to bring down this, the Ten Commandments, okay? Maybe you've watched the old movie, The Ten Commandments. And you have to understand, we see the Ten Commandments as a, as a list of do's and don'ts, okay? They are that, but they're not just that, what you have to understand is after 400 years of slavery, when you've been told, here's what you do, and you've been living in a completely different system surrounded by multitudes of gods, what God is doing here, in a lot of ways, as giving these Ten Commandments and the whole ordeal, in fact, the Jewish culture has a better understanding of this because at Mount Horeb there, it's literally like a wedding ceremony. 
I just did a wedding yesterday for a couple. And in that moment, what they're doing is they're saying, I do and I do, right? And they're committing to a new way of living and how they're going to live relationally connected together. And that's how you have to see the giving of the Ten Commandments. And this is a relational entering into a, con- not a contract, but into a covenant relationship. And God is reestablishing with his people. This is how we can relate well one to another. And Moses has been gone for like 40 days. He's gone for a long time, right? Well, that's not sitting very well with the people. And so in Exodus 32, and if you're following along on version, I put it in there for you. In Exodus 32, here's some fascinating things that begin to, to unfold. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll just read it to you. They get tired of, of waiting for Moses. And so in this waiting, something gets stirred up in their heart to say, maybe we need to go a different direction because the direction we're at seems stalled out. So here's what it says. Verse one, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Aaron's kind of the second guy in charge. And they said to him, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. Wow. I mean, you and I would look at this and we watch the movie and we go, okay, God rescued them with like 10 plagues and like he's, he's or done so much for them and, and brought them out and provided everything in the world. And now they're just like a, a few days into this and God is, and Moses has kind of disappeared for a little bit and they get tired of waiting. And so they begin saying, well, you know, Aaron, just make us a new God who will do what we need power to do just to keep moving forward. See, when I start looking to other things for the power in my life and only the power and authority that God has, and I begin replacing that, then I really am on shaky ground. And that's where the people of God are. It's fascinating how quickly they have moved to this place. And so it goes on, verse uh, 2. So Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings from your wives and your sons and daughters. So I guess guys can have earrings uh, and bring them. So all the people took off the earrings and they brought them to Aaron. He took them, fashioned them into this calf. And all of a sudden they began worshiping and showing this festival and this, this celebration to this false god that they've just created in the oven. And they put it out here and now they're throwing a party for it. And they're saying, this is going to be our God that leads us forward. We look at this and go, how ridiculous is that? Really? Because here's the truth. I'm just as quick to do that. My hunch is you probably are too. That when things stall out in life and waiting becomes a burden, it becomes really easy in our culture to say, I'm going to quickly abandon God. God, I don't know what you're doing and where you've been, but I need to go a different direction. I'm looking for security. And so right now, God, I'm going to go try to acquire as much money as I possibly can because right now you're not providing for me. And so I'm going to have to go provide for myself. And so I start looking to second jobs or third jobs and things like that to get that. And is it wrong to do that? No. But you have to understand the wandering tendency of the human heart to want to look to something else to provide the power then only God has the power and authority to provide. And so we begin very quickly becoming this. Apparently, when the need for hurry meets the desire for control, it becomes really easy for our hearts to wander. It can become really easy. 
So Moses walks back down the mountain and he sees this going on. And, and you can read the rest in, in chapter 32. It's pretty, pretty rough. God puts on some discipline. In fact, God, even to the point of saying, hey, I don't know if I can go any further. And Moses pleads for the people. And so we can have questions and debate about that. But this relational context of what's going on here, you can feel the hurt in God's heart as people have said, I'm going to choose something else. And, and here's the point for tonight. At the end of the day, at the start of this year, I want us to be a people, myself to be a person, that is quickly becomes aware to the wandering of my own human heart. And I want that for you. Because what I don't want is for you to wake up at the end of 2015 empty. I want you to experience the full life that God has for you. And it's real easy in our humanness to want to pursue other things. In fact, one of the great uh, reminders in Scripture uh, is found in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, it's a great psalm. I encourage you to read it this week. And in Psalm 139, it, it kind of gets at the very end. It's a prayer that David prays. And you can tell that he prays this as a searching within his own heart. God, would you search me and know me? Would you search out any way in me that's, that's kind of deviated, that's kind of drifted, that's kind of realigned to something else that's not you? Would you bring awareness to this? so that I can realign, I can recalibrate my heart to be back in attunement with you, with you first and you foremost. And so the question for us tonight is not what idol, um, and or not when an idol may become a part of your life and pop up. The truth is, what idol is the biggest rival to God in your life? Because you will have one. I have one, you will have one. And the truth of the human heart is we are so quick to wander. And so in different seasons, it may look different. But as we go throughout this year, I want to encourage you to maybe pray this simple prayer that David says at the end of Psalm 139. Here's what he says. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is back to the worry that Jesus spoke of. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's verses 23 and 24 of Psalm 139. This is a great prayer to pray. Often, when you find that your heart is wanting to wander somewhere else or to pursue something else or to look for someone or something else to be the power giver in life that only God has the power and authority to give, when I start replacing him and God shifts into second place instead of first, this is a prayer that you're able to say, God, I just want to take a moment because I know my heart, my heart can wander. And I don't want it to. I want it to be attached to you because in you is the full life. And apart from you, it can lead me down a path that maybe is satisfying for a while. But in the end, I'll wake up empty. And I don't want that. And so the question for you is, which idol is currently God's biggest rival in your life? doesn't mean it's necessarily there, but it means it's in the shadows. And it means that it's kind of trying to call your attention and to gain your devotion and to get your attraction to go toward it versus God. And you will have that pull, and I will have that pull in our lives 
And I believe God puts those desires to pursue significance, to pursue purpose, to pursue love and acceptance because God in the end wants us to pursue all of that in him. But we live in a world that's full of distraction, don't we? We live in a world that has a lot of voices screaming a lot of different things, don't we? And it's up to us individually to say, God, I want to, I want to aim my devotion toward you first and foremost. I want to seek you first. I don't want to get distracted by other things. Jesus, in that, that Sermon on the Mount I was telling you about, one of his most famous sermons, he comes back and he says, look, I want you to pursue God. I want you to understand that you don't have to be caught up in worry, that you don't have to be stuck in strife. You don't have to be sideways in life. And in chapter 6, here's what he begins to say toward the end of chapter 6, verse 31. He says, don't worry, saying, what should I eat? What should I drink? What should I wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God understands you have needs, okay? He understands that you have desires and you have dreams, and those are good things. He put them there. He put them there that you would fulfill them and that you would, in the same way, begin to be drawn toward going closer to him. Jesus goes on. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen? You seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you as well. Does that mean I'm going to get the mansion on the hill? Probably not. It's okay. Do I have a roof over my head? Yeah. Does it mean I'm going to get the best of everything in life? Probably not. Does it mean I'm going to get good things? Yes. Does it mean I'm going to have a full life? Yes. Because that's what Jesus said. I've come that you may have life and that you may have life to the full. So you seek first the kingdom of God. You make him first and foremost in life. Don't let your heart wander too far. God knows. I love how the scriptures say this. God knows how you were formed. He gets it that you're mere dust. So we sometimes have super high expectations on ourselves. And I think in a lot of ways we overshoot what God's expecting from us. And we live in the burden of that. And it begins to beat us up and wear us down. And it becomes really easy when you're beat up and worn down to wander, doesn't it? And I think in this scripture, all throughout this notion is God is saying, look, I want you to seek me first. And if you seek me first, you're going to experience the full life I have for you. Doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. Doesn't mean you're not going to have hardships. Doesn't mean you're not going to have anxious moments. But I'm with you and I will be with you. So all throughout the scripture, this year, what I want to encourage us to do, myself included, is to say, God, I don't want to have a wandering heart. I don't want to wake up empty if I just pursue these other things. I want to awaken day after day to the full life that you have for me, that I'm useful for you, that I find my significance and my purpose in you and in the ways that you've created me and knit me together and the skill sets you've given me to exercise those to the fullest of their potential, that I might benefit the world in which I live and make a difference here. But I don't want to be caught up in the accolades of the things I achieve and that they are the ones that supply me the power and significance in my identity. No, God's the one 
that provides my significance and my identity. I'm his child. I'm a son of the king. I'm noticed and I'm known and I'm loved. That's where my identity is. Not in the stuff I achieve or the stuff I do. And you see how subtle this is and how quick our hearts can wander toward these things. And so the next three weeks, we're going to look at three specific things and ways that our hearts can wander. That we might live by the end of January, kind of say, okay, look, we're going to pursue the full life in Jesus. We don't want to wake up empty. And we want to settle for that because that's so low and so down here. We want to be the full life. And so here's what I'd love to do. Just being the first Sunday of January, uh, I'm going to invite the band back up here. Uh, and we're going to continue on in service. If you're new, uh, this is kind of what we do every week is we worship a little bit. Uh, one of our teaching team will come out and teach for a while. And then we'll have a, a space and a time for communion. And we'll end with a couple worship songs. And so that's kind of what's happening in the next few moments. But I want to take a moment and just give you some space. Uh, actually built in to the sermon. I wasn't going to talk as long so that we could actually take a moment and you could kind of get your space and I just want you to kind of hear these words. And I want you to have a moment with God. So maybe you came in here stressed and worried about what's to do next and all that kind of stuff. I just want you to take a deep breath. Relax. Be here in this moment. Don't, be, don't let your mind be somewhere else. Just be here. And I want to read some of these scriptures over you. And I just want you and God to have a conversation. I want to be quiet in between reading these, and I just want to give you space to contemplate and to think. See, it's not about if an idol will pop up in your life. It's what idol has popped up in your life. What, which idol becomes a rival to God? Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom. And so maybe just take a moment right here with these Psalms verses and just ask God to search your heart. God, reveal to me, is my heart wandering? Is it tipping in a direction that maybe is leading away from you, first and foremost? And, and you're kind of being relegated to backseat or second place. And so let me just read this over to you. You take a moment, contemplate. Verse 1 says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You know my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. God searches, he knows, he's aware. He could be trusted. And because he could be trusted, we can pray this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Reveal it. And lead me in the way everlasting. God's searching your heart. And maybe this week he'll be revealing something to you. Just say, God, man, I, I own that. I recognize that. I'm aware to that. And I just, I lay that at your feet. God, you're the one that knows me. 
you know everything about me, you know, when I get up, you know. And you like me. You not just know about me, you like me. And you don't just like me, you, you love me. You went to the cross to display the kind of love and commitment that you have to me. And when God loves you like that, then when other things begin to pull your heart a different direction, it's easy to say, God, okay, I recognize that. I'm aware. And I don't want that. I want to choose you first and foremost. So do not worry about what you shall eat or what you shall drink, what you shall wear, what you shall drive, what you shall do. Don't worry about those things. Don't let that consume you. Don't let it take you down pursuits where you go after chasing other things because you're either tired of waiting or you're in that uncertainty. You seek first the kingdom. You seek God's righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. So Father, uh, tonight as we move toward a time of communion, we recognize that the human heart, my heart, is prone to wander. And you rescued me, you redeemed us through your son Jesus and our faith and our trust in him alone. But I know our heart can wander. And so as we start into this year, I pray that you would move our hearts to want to be anchored close to you, to be tethered to you. Father, I pray that you would give us an awareness to the ways our heart wants to wander. And that in that moment, we'd be able to recognize it, be able to realign, recalibrate our heart, say, God, we choose you first, you foremost, you above all other things. And we do that because you put us first and your love motivated you to pursue us, to pursue us through Jesus and his life and his teachings his death and his resurrection. So as we observe communion here tonight, as we partake of the meal that you gave us to say, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. To do this to remember you are loved, you are treasured, you are welcomed into the presence of God. And you are loved in such a way that God wants to walk life with you. And taking a walk with someone is about proximity. It's about staying close. That's where the enjoyment, that's where the full life is discovered and found. And so, Father, would you be with us in these moments as we worship you through communion and through worship and song? Would you stir our hearts to deepen our affection and our roots into Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you.